the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. UCP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now, as you read that, there's got to be questions in your minds about why God would do such a thing. Why was God so upset? Why was God so displeased? He obviously was. It obviously was wrong what David did. But we, at first glance, would look at this and say, big deal. After all, David was just taking an inventory to determine his military strength. David was just taking a census to determine the strength of his army. Or was he? Was that all there was to it or was there something else? I guess if we were all honest with ourselves, we would have to admit that there are some passages in the Bible where the response of God seems to be uh, too harsh, at least at first. This story about David's sin certainly fits that category. However, since we know that God is all-wise and all-loving, we know that His responses are always properly measured and executed. More often than not, the problem is that we fail to see the gravity of the sin that is in view. In just a moment, Pastor Steve will help us to dig a little deeper into this episode in the life of David and to identify the dangerous sin that God was seeking to eliminate. Hello and welcome again to Verse by Verse, the radio program that is committed to declaring the whole counsel of God. Verse by Verse features the practical teaching ministry of Pastor Steve Kreloff, the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. His ability to faithfully examine a passage of Scripture and illuminate the underlying principles and practical applications has been a help to many believers in their walk with Christ. We are glad that you have joined us today. We have been listening to a study on the book of Nehemiah, so you may be wondering, uh, how did we get to this event in the life of David? Well, the preparations made by Nehemiah to protect the people of Jerusalem from attack have led us to consider the preparations that the believer in Christ should be making in his life today. Since this is a broad biblical topic, Pastor Steve has been drawing illustrations and instructions from several key passages. Let's join the study now as he introduces this tragic episode from the life of David. Turning to Nehemiah 4 right away, I, I want us to begin this morning by um, reading about an incident in the life of King David in Old Testament Israel. And it's found in 1 Chronicles, which is a little bit before Nehemiah, 1 Chronicles chapter 21. This may have been a portion of scripture that puzzled you. It may have been a portion of scripture that confused you, but we'll try to unconfuse you today. First Chronicles chapter 21, uh, the verse, first uh, seven verses. Then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and to the princes of the people, go number Israel from Beersheba, even to Dan, and bring me word that I may know their number. 
And Joab said, May the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are. But my Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why does my Lord seek this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt to Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the number of the census of all the people to David and all Israel were 1,100,000 men who drew the sword. And Judah was 470,000 men who drew the sword. But he did not number Levi and Benjamin among them for the king's command was abhorrent to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing, so he struck Israel. Now, as you read that, there's got to be questions in your mind about why God would do such a thing. Why was God so upset? Why was God so displeased? He obviously was. It obviously was wrong what David did, but we, at first glance, would look at this and say, big deal, after all, David was just taking an inventory to determine his military strength. David was just taking a census to determine the strength of his army. Or was he? Was that all there was to it, or was there something else? Obviously, there has to be something else. There's nothing wrong in and of itself to see how strong you are in a military sense. There's nothing wrong with taking a census. There's nothing wrong with seeing your statistics. But the reason why God was so displeased with David was because of the motive of David's heart. Why did David do this? Why was David so concerned about finding out his military strength? And here's, here's the crux of the matter. David was reveling in his achievements as a military genius, in his achievements as a military commander, in his military victories and God struck him, struck Israel, because David should have gloried in God's strength, not in his own. David's pride was the issue here. It was his egotistical pride that God was displeased with. Instead of obeying and relying upon God's sovereign power to accomplish the victories for Israel, David was beginning to rely upon his own strength. David wanted to see how powerful his army was, rather than thinking no matter how a few or large we are, God is the one who in this nation gives the victory. His trust was really in human resources rather than the Lord God, and that's why God's judgment fell upon Israel. And, and also there are other places, you may wonder why Israel was David who did it, but there are other places, I think it's First Samuel, where it was Israel who also encouraged David to do this. So it wasn't just David alone. All of Israel, or most of Israel, felt this way, even though his general, Joab, didn't feel that way. Now, the reason I want you to be familiar with David's sin of trusting in human strength for victory, which is really what it is, is that in our study of Nehemiah 4, and you can turn to Nehemiah 4, but in our study of Nehemiah 4, we are in the process of discovering how the Jewish people of Nehemiah's day, which would be towards the end of the Old Testament era, got ready to fight against their enemies. And the way we're approaching Nehemiah 4 is not to think about the physical battles, because none of us are ever going to be involved specifically in the type of physical battles that, uh, that Old Testament Israel was. But we're looking for timeless truths, timeless eternal principles about how to protect ourselves from our enemy, who is Satan, who's the devil. He also, by the way, was, was David's enemy, because if you notice in First Chronicles 21, it says, then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. So Satan was very active even back then against God's people, and he is still active against God's people. 
First Peter 5, 8 calls him a roaring lion. And he roars because he's, he's after you. He is mad. He wants to devour believers. Not in the sense that you could ever have your salvation taken away from you, but in the sense that he ruins you spiritually. He ruins your effectiveness for Jesus Christ. So the way we're approaching it is to look at timeless truths. And like David, and here's, here's the tie-in, like David, we have to choose how we're going to fight our enemy. Is it by trusting our own power, our own thinking, our own wisdom, our own even what we might call common sense, our own resources, or by trusting in God's strength and uh, in what God has provided for us to protect us from the enemy. And that's what we're really looking at these days. Last week, we began to look at the provision that God has provided uh, as we do battle with the enemy. So as the devil enticed David to trust his own power, uh, he'll do the same with us. And he does the same with us. He wants you to go against him in your own thinking. He wants you to ignore what the Bible has to say. He wants you to be involved in battling him with just your natural way of, of thinking and doing things. And if that happens, you will fail all the time. You'll be a miserable Christian. You'll be defeated in your life. Now, last week, we began to look at Nehemiah 4 from the standpoint of how to protect ourselves against Satan. We're looking at Nehemiah 4 as a guide for us then we're going to the New Testament, and we're seeing how those principles apply in the New Testament context. And we're applying these truths as timeless principles on how to protect ourselves, what God has provided for us. And we said there are three timeless principles in chapter 4 of Nehemiah on how to protect ourselves from the enemy's attack. Number one, and we began to look at this last week, and then time ran out. Number one was be prepared. Be prepared. And I want to read to you from Nehemiah 4. Nehemiah 4, verses 15 through 18. And the principle is be prepared for the attack. Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning in verse 15. It happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated and that God had frustrated their plan. Then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. And it came about from that day on that half of my servants carried on the work while half of them held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the breastplates, and the captains were behind the whole house of Judah. Those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens took their load with one hand doing the work and with the other holding a weapon. As for the builders, each wore his sword girded at his side as he built while the trumpeter stood near me. Now you remember the setting. The enemies of Israel have planned a surprise attack. Uh, Sam Ballad and Tobiah, and you have the Arabs there, and then you have some, some people from the Philistine city of Ashdod. Uh, they plan to converge upon Israel to stop the rebuilding of the walls. The Jewish people were building and rebuilding the wall that went about around Jerusalem to protect Jerusalem. And uh, these people said, we're going to have a surprise attack. And what these verses are saying is that God frustrated their plans. It became known to Nehemiah and the people. And uh, and, and now, even though the crisis was over, Nehemiah and the people were prepared for an attack. They were prepared. Uh, and they prepared themselves, and they took measures to prepare themselves, uh, in the sense that half of the people who worked on the wall continued their work, and uh, half of the people stood guard. Half worked, half stood guard. And those who carried materials now also carried a weapon. With one hand, they carried materials. With the other hand, they carried a weapon. They were ready. And those who actually worked on the wall 
See, some just carried materials to people who then worked on the wall, but those who did the literal work on the wall also wore swords at their sides. And the principle and the timeless truth here is that just as these people were prepared for an attack from their enemy, so you and I always need to be prepared for an attack. Always. Because you don't know when you're going to be attacked. You don't know when what Paul calls that evil day will come. It could be any time. It could be before the day is up. It might be this morning. It might be that you're battling with something now that seems to be overwhelming to you. And so we always need to be prepared for an attack actually before they even happen. Never forget your enemy. You may scoff at at Satan. You may uh, buy into what Hollywood portrays him to be, a funny little guy with horns coming out and, and a red costume and uh, and a tail and and you can make jokes about him but he is real and he wants to devour you in uh, making you ineffective for Christ we're always to be ready because you never know when he's going to attack so what can we do to be ready what can we do to be prepared if you leave Nehemiah 4 we'll get back to it but turn to Ephesians 6 as we began to look at this last week I believe that Ephesians chapter 6 is the most comprehensive the most helpful portion of scripture and all the word of God concerning how to deal with Satan. There are a lot of funny things out there. There are a lot of uh, books written about this, but this is the key issue. This is the, the biblical revelation about dealing with in satanic warfare. Because Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Don't be strong in yourself. Don't do what David did. Be strong in the Lord and in his power. So how do you do that? Well, verse 11 says, you put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The devil has schemes. The devil has tactics. The devil has methods. He knows your weaknesses and he'll attack those. He also, in a paradoxical sense, knows your strengths and he will attack those because in our strengths, we tend to feel like we've got those under control. Be careful about your strengths. It may be a pride issue, and he'll attack in that sense. So the full armor of God is what? We said that Paul was chained in prison. He wrote Ephesians in prison, chained to a Roman guard night and day in his own rented quarters. Uh, He had much freedom, but he was chained to a guard, a Roman guard, night and day. And uh, he must have looked at this guard with all of his armor on and said, you know, that's what God has provided for us. Only it's spiritual armor. And as the Spirit of God inspired him, he wrote this down, and he goes into a whole thing about the armor that God has provided to protect us, just like the armor that Rome provides for their soldiers. So that's the full armor of God. And why do we need this? Verse 12 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You know, they may be tools of Satan, but we're not really battling them. But against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. There's a whole order of angelic, uh, demonic forces. Therefore, he says, take up the full armor of God. Be protected so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And what day is that? Any day he attacks. And having done everything, stand firm. That is to say, you can keep the attacks from coming. Just make sure when they hit you, you've got the armor on so when the dust settles, you're standing, you're firm, and uh, you're not going to fall down spiritually. There are, there are six pieces of armor that Paul mentions in Ephesians chapter 6. We looked at them last week. We looked at five of them last week. The belt of truth, which is the, um, 
the knowledge of the word of God. Thy word is truth. We wrap that around ourselves. We have a handle on the word of God. The breastplate of righteousness, a holy life is your best defense against uh, Satan. A holy, godly life in obedience to the word of God. Then you, you uh, put on your feet, you shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That is to say that just as, as footing for a Roman soldier gave them firm stability in hand-to-hand combat, so the way you stay firm and stable in the Christian life, not up and down, not, not uh, someone who's wishy-washy, is that you have an understanding of peace, the peace that you have with God. Not just the feeling of peace that you have, but an understanding that God is no longer at war with you. The war is over. You're on his side. And uh, otherwise, you're going to be prone to think things like he's mad at me. He doesn't love me anymore. And that's where people begin to get uh, unstable in their lives. Then we put on the shield of faith. And that is the, the trust in the word of God that protects us from the enemy's lies. He is a liar, Jesus said. He is the father of lies. And he's so insidious because he rarely gives us something that is just so obviously falsehood. What he does is he mixes falsehood with truth. And that's where it becomes very deceitful. But you must take the shield of faith and you'll ward off the the enemy's missiles. You must believe the word of God rather than your own feelings. And then we looked at the helmet of salvation. That protects our minds. Uh, A helmet protects your, your brain And we need protection from, number one, doubts, and number two, discouragement. Why is it called the helmet of salvation? Because it's an understanding of the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. So you don't doubt that you were saved in the past. You don't doubt that you have uh, continued to be saved in the present. And you aren't discouraged that there's never any salvation in the future. It just goes on and on like this. And my life forever is going to be just turmoil. It's not going to be like that. Jesus is coming again. And uh, he's going to take us home to be with him. And that's part of the helmet of salvation. There is a finish line. There is a finish line. So now we look at the sixth piece of equipment. And this is just tremendous. Notice verse 17. The end of verse 17 says, And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is where we left off last week. So far, every piece of armor we have studied has one common denominator. They're all defensive weapons. But this is an offensive weapon. This is something you thrust. This is the sword of the spirit. Now, a sword can be used defensively, but primarily it's an offensive weapon. And and that's what what Paul means here, because you must understand uh, a little bit about the background of this and how uh, the Roman soldiers use these swords. Otherwise, you'll really not understand what he's he's teaching here. You, You have to think a little bit. Yeah, I'd encourage you to write notes and uh, file it away. This will help you. There were basically two types of swords that soldiers used. You had a large, broad sword. In the Old Testament, it speaks of Goliath having one of these swords. A large, broad sword. And those, those were just big and, and kind of hard to handle. They just sweep it around, and you hoped if you were battling it, you didn't get in the way. It was just un, un, really unwieldy in battle, not, not easy to use. But the other type of sword that Scripture speaks of was the short sword or a large knife that uh, revolutionized hand-to-hand combat in the ancient world. And it was the the usual weapon of the Roman soldier in Paul's day. 
That's the word that uh, that's used in Ephesians six seven for the sword of the spirit. It's also used in the parallel passage in Hebrews four twelve concerning the word of God sharper than any two edged sword. Now, why is it important that uh, we understand the distinction between the the kind of sword? that was used in that day, and the kind of sword that Paul is referring to. Because the sword that the Spirit provides is for precision type of fighting. It isn't uh, something that you, you just handle in a sort of wild fashion and, and hope that it hits your opponent. It's a precise weapon designed to be handled carefully and effectively. And it's so important for us to understand this, that that. Paul uh, takes the time to explain what the sword of the Spirit is. This is the only piece of armor that Paul takes time to explain in Ephesians 6, and he explains it as he says, the Word of God. Now, this is very important. The Greek language has, uh, has two terms for word. The most common term is the word, and it's a famous word, lagos, which basically refers to a broad, a broad or a general uh, word. The Bible, in its totality, could be called the lagos of God or the word of God. In other words, it's the sum of God's utterances. But the lagos is not the term that Paul used in Ephesians 6. The term that he used there is the Greek word rhema, which usually refers to specific statements or specific utterances. In other words, the sword of the Spirit doesn't refer to the whole Bible as such, but to particular, the particular individual scripture which the Spirit brings to our remembrance for use in, in time of need. Just as a Roman soldier had a sword to do precision work, so our sword is for precision work too. It's to be used in a precise manner rather than just flailing that that uh, and swinging that sword around indiscriminately. Now, it's important that we have a, a broad knowledge of the totality of Scripture so that we can pull out the specific principles and truths when we need them to combat Satan. You see, we know, need to know the specific truths and principles of Scripture to deal with the specific temptations that Satan throws our way. So if you're tempted in the area, for example, of morality and moral purity, you don't quote John 3.16. That, that's really uh, irrelevant at that point. See, the Bible is not a, a book of magic. You don't just throw out a verse. You have to go to the specific passage of Scripture dealing with the specific problem. So how does this work? Well, the best illustration of using the sword of the Spirit properly is found in Matthew chapter 4, when the Lord Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. So let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, and here's what we read in Matthew 4.1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, Jesus obviously knew all of the Bible, but he, he didn't swing his sword around indiscriminately. He used it in a precise way, dealing with exactly the temptation that Satan threw at him. Every time Jesus responded to Satan, he quoted from the same Old Testament book. Which one was that? It was the book of Deuteronomy. Now, why was it that, uh, that Jesus used Deuteronomy? It wasn't by accident, but rather by divine design. And, and by the Lord's own purpose in all this. Now, why Deuteronomy? Because the book of Deuteronomy, now note this, it was given to Israel to control their daily walk. As they were on the verge of entering the land of, of Canaan, Deuteronomy told them, told the Jewish people how to live daily. 
When Satan came to divert the Lord Jesus from the path of perfect obedience to the will of God, he quoted from this book. He quoted from the very Old Testament book that governed the walk of God's, uh, of the child of God. He used his sword wisely to deal with his adversary. And Jesus didn't quote from a book like Leviticus, for example. That's about worship. But he did quote from Deuteronomy because Deuteronomy was appropriate for the situation. As you go through Matthew chapter 4, you realize that, that when Jesus quoted scripture, it was to deal with a specific temptation. Thank you, Pastor Steve. Perhaps one of the greatest obstacles facing believers today in the use of the scriptures is that they often do not understand the specific application of a passage. It is not enough to merely quote scripture. It is important to know the underlying principles that are being taught in a given passage. This will enable the believer to use these truths in proper situations in life. And this is part of the reason that Verse by Verse exists. We are committed to form a preaching that seeks to inform the believer and to explain why certain things are said in a particular manner in the Scriptures. We hope that this attention to detail and practical explanation of the Scriptures has helped you to sharpen your sword today. If you would like to learn more about Verse by Verse, or if you're interested in partnering with us in this ministry of preparation, please call us at 727-329-0306. Your prayers and financial support are vital to sustaining this ministry. You can also look us up on the World Wide Web at versebyverseradio.org. We still need to examine two more eternal principles from this passage in Nehemiah chapter 4, so we hope that you'll join Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.